We'll say there, friends. Welcome to the show. The Raised by Whoops Fake Radio Show. This is Andrew, and this episode is, uh, it's not real. It's fake, just like the show. It's a fake-ass story, fictionalized, called Shop Where You Are. I made it up. Well, that's, that's, that's not entirely true. A lot of it actually happened to me, but I fictionalized the story, added some supernatural elements, and wrote it uh, from the perspective of a small demon that you'll hear about in the story. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say about it. Well, I'll say this. It's fucking weird to write fiction and then share it with people. Uh, I don't know. It's just strange. It's like... um, it's like showing your balls to a doctor. You know, he kind of needs to see him, but it's still weird. It's actually nothing like that. Uh, you don't need to hear this story. You don't need to hear about my balls. You don't need to hear any of this. I don't know what I'm saying, but I'm saying it nonetheless. This is a story. It's a fiction, and uh, this is a podcast, a fake radio show. Nothing's real. I mean, nothing's real. Where are we? How did we get here? Where are we going? I don't know. I'm holding a microphone in my hand that has a little uh, furry wind cover over it. And in reality, in real life, not fake stuff, I've got a real dog who's staring at it, waiting for me to throw it because I guess it looks like a stuffed animal. He seems very perplexed that I'm talking to it. Anyway, uh, what the fuck am I saying? Hey, hope you're doing great, okay? Hope you're doing real well because it's... uh. Well, I'm going to release this on Saturday, recording this on Friday. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, in two weeks, I'm going to be riding a bicycle uh, from Vancouver, Canada, down to uh, Northern California. That's happening. Probably not going to put out any episodes of me. Got to talk to Glenn and see what he wants to do. Um, but yeah, that's happening soon. So I'm taking a break from this show and uh, I'm going to ride a bicycle. And hopefully uh, have a good time. Because eventually, I'm just going to be a dead person, right? Aren't we all? Just waiting not to be dead. Got to live. Got to do what you want. And what I want to do is uh, share the story with you now. It's called uh, Shop Where You Are. It's fake, mostly. Hope you enjoy it. Okay, till next time, here's a story. tell you about Marvin. He's a creature of rarefied and curious sensitivities. We met some time after the war. Not the one you read about in the news, but one you may have only felt in your heart. Not so much like a missing beat, but more like that time you made eye contact with an enemy over the glow of a birthday candle. We became fast friends in spite of having fought for opposite sides. Often anxious and ill at ease, Marvin is the type who ventures out into the world each day in search of a little moral balance, regardless of where he's headed. If there's beauty in a moment, he'll pause to bathe in its grandeur before moving on. When there's ugliness, he takes special notice, outlining its boundaries for future reference. Marvin believes it's as useful to know where not to go as it is to know the way. Whether it's in the presence of the exquisite or the unpleasant, the repugnant or the sublime, Marvin keeps his distance, preferring the role of sympathetic observer over active participant. He was like that in combat, 
he's like that in times of peace. He's just that kind of guy. In any case, Marvin has the rare gift and equally uncommon curse of having awareness of and access to a great deal more than the five senses which the common man is told he possesses. While he can see, hear, feel, taste, and smell with much greater precision than most, he can also perceive sentience in objects which normally make no sound and have no taste, no smell, or texture at all. For instance, did you know that products covered in advertisements not only believe what's written on their labels, but they actively want you to believe it as well? Were you aware of the fact that a human being's aroma is essentially a memoir, written by way more than pheromones and legible by much more than one's olfactory receptors. I mention these things now so you might begin to understand. You never quite know what the strangers next to you may be going through in their troubled minds. For good or ill, Marvin does, and then some. For a mind like his, the nerve-jangling experience of visiting a large, busy grocery store can be even more unsettling. Now, I'm not talking about one of the upper-crust chains featuring expensive meats, fine cheeses, and a section dedicated solely to the display of organic cleaning products. I'm talking about that old, dirty box store. If you've ever visited rural North America, you know what I'm talking about. The ones with too much orange and brown on the walls. The shelves stuffed with corn products made from other corn products and that good old American shit-kicking enthusiasm for profit over people. In Marvin's quest for balance, he didn't have to search hard to find something to counter the overly enthusiastic blathering of the products in the middle aisles. He needed something decidedly negative for ballast. What better than the despondent musk of unhappy employees? He encountered several of them, lurking and stacking boxes of cheaply produced foods, doing their best to tip the effort to paycheck ratio in their own favor, while avoiding a manager who was, if not drunk on power, at least a little tipsy. The manager in this case was a guy called Tom. Marvin saw Tom's awkward image, bespectacled and creepy over the customer service desk. The marginalized photographs of his underlings, placed conspicuously below his own, gave the whole thing a peculiar Olympic medal ceremony vibe, with Tom bringing home the gold for a nation of dickheads. Balance. The unfortunate employees obviously couldn't stand working for Tom. Marvin could feel it in the air. He could sense how Tom's impotent power trip was set to destroy or set to compensate for being treated badly by his peers as a young man. Laying the burden of his flabby authority on the 16 to 25-year-old kids under his boot was insult on top of injury. It's bad enough to clean up after reckless customers and bag their groceries as they chat on their phones, retrieving their abandoned carts from the parking lot before they joyfully haul their momentum to the closest and most expensive car door. Doing all that under Tom's persistent and insecure scrutiny was asking a bit much. A great sympathy flowed from Marvin's heart for all parties involved, both niggling Tom and his pack of miscreant layabout teenage crackers held a place in his kindly heart. So Marvin sent out a little prayer of gratitude to the fictitious but useful Lord of Good Fortune for allowing him to be a mere spectator and not an active participant in what appeared to be a hopeless, an impossible drama. A drama featuring the abuse of power, aversion to authority, and customer service that was just plain weird. And that's our man, John Q. Customer, or Marvin, as I call him. Once my enemy, now my friend. Just like everyone else, he was there to consume the rectal discharge of the big machine. 
Unlike everyone else, he was aware of the manic products on the shelves as they called out to him in discordant, disembodied voices. Baying from behind the labels their horrible promise. Hi there. How about a 36-pack of individually wrapped juice boxes? Try us. We're delicious and convenient. Hey, look over here. We're lemon-scented trash bags. Never smell your own garbage again. Why don't you grab a pack of some dried apricots? We're vacuum-sealed for freshness and dioxide fart potency. He shuddered as the balance between exuberance and despair wobbled on its axis, like the very planet upon which we currently careen through space. He focused instead on the strange music playing over the ten-tone speakers above. Was that a Stevie Wonder cover or an instrumental ripoff? Music is but a palliative remedy, even when unsure about what you're hearing. There is no cure but death for the overly sensitive mind, and there's no need to rush it. A young and handsome demon who lives in a small stain on Marvin's favorite shirt, a demon of whom I'm quite fond for a variety of reasons, called out to him wisely, saying, Man, get your uppity ass down from that organic feed-eating high horse and buy some damn food. Shit. You gotta get your head in the game, Marvin. The stain was, as usual, totally right. So Marvin proceeded to do just that. On his list, carrot juice, a dozen eggs, cheese and onion, fish fillets, cereal, milk, bananas, tomatoes, broccoli, and apples. It was only the carrot juice who had observations to share. Marvin had long ago weighed the trouble of having to hear those observations against his love for carrot juice and his aversion to just buying a juicer and making his own. If listening to the self-assured ramblings of a bottle of carrot juice once a day was his biggest problem, Marvin thought to himself, he'd be fine. Within a few minutes, he had everything he needed in his basket and made his way to the clerk to pay and hopefully get the hell out of the incredibly busy store before the more aggressive items on the shelves became too insistent to ignore. Marvin knows when it's time to go. At that hour of the day, Marvin was one of only six people who had not brought at least one unruly child into the store. Every aisle, it seemed, featured an angry mother, busily yanking a child's arm off some brightly colored product or a sugar-addled child reaching for a multicolored product while the parental unit looked the other way. In either case, there'd be some stern talk, some arm yanking, and possibly a lightning-fast cat-like cheek slap, more demoralizing than painful. Navigating this sea of freshly yanked and slapped children, steaming and tousled mothers, and the other five assholes who couldn't be bothered to round up a child or two for shopping adventures, Marvin finally reached the enormous aisle which funneled customers to the checkout. It was packed and moving slowly. Any child who had somehow managed to keep their cool up to that point decided it was time to just go ahead and come unglued. It made for an interesting soundtrack. The screaming, the wailing, and gnashing of teeth made possible by the desperate desire for and persistent denial of the tasty, sugary treats which flanked the funnel, produced a wildly inharmonious melody. The smacks, yanks, squeaky cartwheels, cash registers, and pitter-patter of impatient feet lead down a polyrhythm to which no one danced. A small, shirt-bound demon was the only one in the store who managed to enjoy it and made mention of it to Marvin. Shit, dig that groove, man. This place got rhythm. If I had feet, I'd be dancing. A loud crash two lanes over abruptly flattened that maniacal tune, ripping everyone's attention from their own personal turmoil 
to a more regional chaos. An angry child had managed to knock a glass jar of grape jelly off the checkout counter's conveyor belt from the seat of the shopping cart. Sticky jelly and bits of glass splattered over the bottom row of the magazine rack and the pant legs of both the frustrated mother and the stone young man bagging the groceries. The front of the checkout counter looked like it had seen similar damage before, while the splatter pattern from the base of the jar created a lovely Rorschach on a small section of the floor. Marvin, after the screams of the jelly jar had died out, enjoyed the exchange which followed immensely. He grinned to himself as the situation unfolded. Tom and one of his minions were called to the scene to handle the situation. Without even the slightest hint of professionalism, Tom abandoned his impatient pointing and instructions. With no broom, no mop, and only plastic bags to scoop up the broken glass, he got on his knees, snatched the bag from his helper, and attempted to rub the jelly into any surface which would accept it. However, it was the reaction of the wonderfully furious child in the shopping cart, which Marvin enjoyed most. In the tiny electric moment after the jar crashed to the floor, just before the silence was to be drowned out again by the beep-beep of cash registers and Tom's bungled attempt at actual management, the kid belted out the most desperate and dramatic cry in a comically southern accent. Oh, but I want jelly! Marvin nearly pissed himself trying not to laugh. It soon dawned on him he was the only one around who found this outburst amusing. Well, the stain on his shirt got a kick out of it, of course, but that's to be expected. The previously chatty jar of jelly fell silent for good. Finally, Marvin found himself facing the clerk, a hollow-cheeked woman in her mid-fifties. She did not smile, and Marvin couldn't blame her. Before he could engage in dialogue with her, word came from what would soon become his favorite of all Tom's minions, Wilson, the grocery bagger. Paper or plastic, he said joylessly. Wilson was a super mutant team with thin, flippy hair covering his left eye. An untucked shirt hung from the sides of his dirty apron, and his tattered corduroy pants had burn marks on the knees from smoking joints in a crouched position behind the store. Wilson conveyed a dislike for his place of employment so complete when Marvin presented the two bags with which he intended to transport his groceries. Wilson exhaled a dejected sigh, flipped his hair to cover his right eye, and simply walked away without a word. Tom was still busy with the jelly. With groceries in the bag and his cash now digested by the belly of the beast, Marvin took his leave. He was glad to face the parking lot and the rolling numbskulls, either knocking about behind loud metal grocery carts or distractedly driving around louder, more menacing metal vehicles. Just as he had dared to dream of his freedom, he heard a voice over his shoulder, very clearly aimed in his direction. The owner of this voice was wearing a large, fully zipped-up hunter orange jacket with dirty white wristbands over the cuffs, fluorescent green shorts with socks pulled up to the knees, high-top Chuck Taylors and a pair of women's sunglasses. He carried an incredibly threadbare backpack with various insignias and patches, covering nearly the entire surface area of the bag. Most were military. Pow Maya, respect the vet, simplify, etc. He was short and stocky with a scraggly beard, a few missing teeth, and not nearly old enough to have been a veteran of the war in Vietnam. Marvin knew this man's pain and knew where it was headed. He'd smelled it before, many times in fact. The man's voice was harsh, with all the anti-charm of a chronic smoker and heavy drinker. Hey, old Navy, what's it gonna be? What's that? 
Marvin asked, tilting his head toward nothing in particular behind the crazed man. The man ignored him and blurted out, I said what's it gonna be, huh? Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines, how about it? You ready to serve? This was not great, but no worse than the scented trash bags. Oh no, I'm enlisted already. Salvation Army for me, friend. Olive Branch Division, Marvin said, turning his head to answer, but maintaining his speed and distance. But seriously, what is that? Is it yours? He said, pointing under the man's shoulder, just behind him and slightly to the left. What? The man said, spinning violently around to look behind him, down and slightly to the left. Marvin kept moving, never breaking his stride, and walked away without looking back. It's a cheap and dirty little trick, but surprisingly effective. And just like that, he was free of the store, with its pushy products, amused patrons, wild-eyed evangelists, mean managers, and downtrodden minions. To be sure, the poor soul in the jacket had a few more words to share, mostly aimed at Marvin's weakness. A man not willing to die for his country ain't no man at all. But Marvin found it best, when forced to engage in hopeless confrontation, to just keep moving. When he made his quip about the Salvation Army, he was already 10 to 15 feet away. By the time the scruffy man turned around from the nothing which was underneath and behind him, Marvin had doubled the gap. 30 feet is a fine distance to have between yourself and a lunatic on an unsanctioned recruiting mission for the armed forces. He climbed onto his old motorcycle with two largely silent bags of food and popped on his helmet, gloves, and jacket. The contented carrot juice enthusiastically congratulating him on having made such a good choice thanked him for tucking him in. He was mighty glad to be heading to his new home in Marvin's refrigerator. Engine humming. Marvin pulled out of his parking space, giving a wide berth to a store employee, riding an empty cart down the hill, shirt tails flapping in the wind.
Thanks for tuning in to the Raised by Whoops fake radio show. This is Glenn. Both Andrew and I are grateful for your time and attention. If you enjoyed that story, we'd appreciate if you could tell your friends, family, or even a few strangers about the show. Additionally, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. If you have a short story you'd like us to tell, or even some music you'd like to share, you can reach out via the website, raisedbywhoops.com. We're glad to have you with us. Till next time, thanks, and take care. Thank you.